If you would take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We've been looking at the doctrines of God the last several Sundays. Of course, we looked two weeks ago at God the Father. The Father, last week, God the Holy Spirit. This week, we're going to look at God the Son. And, uh, of course, in our doctrinal statement in our Constitution, it says this, We believe in the absolute deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as God, His eternal existence as the Son of God, His incarnation by means of conception by the Holy Spirit and the virgin birth, His co-equal identity as both true God and true man, His sinlessness, His vicarious atonement for the sins of mankind by the shedding of His blood and death on the cross, His literal bodily resurrection from the grave, his ascension into heaven, his present high priestly ministry for believers, his imminent return and premillennial rapture of all believers, his personal visible return to earth for the establishment and thousand-year reign of his earthly kingdom, and his position as the object of our faith for the eternal salvation of our souls. And of course, we'd like to start with reading John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born... Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I just titled the message this morning, Our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege that we have to open your precious Word. Thank you that we can assemble together and to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I pray, fathers, look into the word of God today and consider this subject of our Lord Jesus Christ, his person, his purpose, and Father, and, 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 uh, Father his present ministry. Lord, just pray that you would just uh, speak to our hearts, encourage us, and strengthen us in our walk with you. Give us a better understanding of our Savior uh, who died for our sins. So have your will and way. May you be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is Jesus Christ? If you would ask that question in society or in the world, you get a lot of different answers. Some would say he's a good teacher. I had a fellow say that to me the other week, that he's, he was good, you know, he was a, he was a good prophet. He was a great, he was a great person in history. I said, well, 
What about some of the claims he made? If, if, if he, well, you know, people say things. It's kind of what people say things. Uh, so is he, he was, some will say he's a good teacher, a great man in history, along with side Gandhi and, you know, others. But 1 John 5.10 tells us that we're to believe the record that God gave of his son. And that record is the word of God. To not, in fact, it says to not believe this record is to declare God a liar. See, we're to believe the record that God gave of his son. So as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we're going to consider several things. First of all, the person of Christ. Secondly, the purpose of Christ. And then thirdly, the present ministry of Christ. So first of all, let's consider the person of Christ. Now in our doctoral statements, it says we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, which means that he was God, or the divinity, the word deity means divinity, which means he is God, uh, he is God. Uh, In verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And think about this. In him was life. When we, the, the phrase here, in the beginning, mean absolutely the beginning of all things, or when the beginning began. In other words, he was already there. That's the idea. When time began, the word, as it's referred to, as he's re, he is referred to, we know this is a person because it's capitalized, and the word was made flesh, verse 14. So it's referring to a person. The word existed before creation or before time began. And it's referring, of course, to Jesus Christ. One commentary said this, This description is given in order that we may at once grasp a continuous history which runs out of an unmeasured past and the identity of the person who is subject of that history, unquote. So, so when it says here, in the beginning, it's referring to that he is, he, when, when the beginning began, as we know the beginning, he was already there. He already existed. And it's kind of hard for us to understand when the beginning began. <laughs> but when time began, he was already there. He already existed. It, John the Baptist said in John 1 here, verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. So, and the word preferred means in existence or the origin of all things. And John then clearly says, he was before me. Now, we know, physically, humanly speaking, that John was six months older than Jesus. John was born six months before Jesus was born uh, as a human being. Uh, so, but, but John said... He was preferred. In other words, he was in existence before me. And, of course, Jesus taught this as well. In John eight fifty eight. he was speaking to the Pharisees about Abraham. And he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
And, and, and he saw it and was glad. And then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. In John 10, verse 30, he said, I and my father are one. And then in John chapter 17 and verse 5, in his, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said this, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Before the world was. I, had, I shared your glory before the world was. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And so he claimed to be God, and the, the, the declaration or the record of the Bible is that God gives concerning his son is that he is, was, and always will be God. He existed in eternity past. And, of course, he gave evidence of his deity by the miracles that he performed. You know, he turned water, which is a mineral, into wine, which is of a plant. So he took something from the mineral kingdom or the mineral world and turned it into a vegetable or into the plant world. That's a miracle. Uh, Of course, he healed the sick. He made the lame to walk. He raised the dead. He forgave sin and passed judgment on the wicked. Matthew 9.33, you know, things that were said about him. Matthew 9.33 says, When the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes, multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. In Mark chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Immediately he rose and took up the bed. This is speaking of the lame man he healed. He went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. And, and you know, he, of course, you know, I'm just giving a few things. Just a few things that he did. Proving that he was the Son of God. Uh, you know, he, 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 he could calm the seas. He could walk on water. You know, so many things that he did. But, we see clearly here that he is and he always will be God. In fact, Revelation chapter 1, uh, one of my favorite verses um, concerning this subject. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is which was and which is to come, the Almighty. See, he is God, and he always will be God. Secondly, not only do we see the deity of Jesus Christ, as we consider his person, but we see the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 14 
and 15, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So here we see the humanity. The word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. Now, that glory was veiled. We didn't see it as he had it before, or no man could, would have lived. But, but we see here that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. A body hast thou prepared me. Uh, he took on, God took on a body. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Mary was told by the angel that that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And we know that Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time has come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under a law. And so, in this person of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God taking on flesh or becoming a man. John says here in verse 15, um, wait a minute. Yeah, John, verse 15 says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he with whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So he was after John, yet he's before John. And, and so uh, verse 14 talks about the only begotten of the Father, which means single of this kind. You know, his, his, virgin, his birth was, of course, a virgin birth, a one-of-a-kind birth. But it was, he was born as a human being, and we know that he was six months after John the Baptist. And, and so, uh, he became flesh. And he became flesh to reveal God to us. In verse 18 it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the, bo- the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You see, Jesus Christ is God revealing himself to mankind in a human body. He was made like unto us. He had all the senses of humanity. Taste, smell, hearing. He had feelings. He ate. He slept. He grew weary. He sorrowed. He wept. You know, he showed emotion. He submitted to his earthly parents. Luke 2, 52 tells us. Think about it. God submitted himself to earthly parents. It's a good example for you young people. Uh, he also, now this may, may throw you for a little bit, he submitted himself to government. He paid his taxes. paid his taxes he told Peter you go down to the dock and you throw a line the first fish that comes up you take the coin out of his mouth and you go pay your tribute for me and for thee he submitted himself to the government 
you know, it was said of him, John 7, 46, they sent officers to arrest him, the Pharisees did, and they came back without him, and they, and they said, why haven't you brought him? And they said this, never a man, never a man spake like this man. He was a man. I say probably no truer word spoken than 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It is a great mystery that God would manifest himself in the flesh. Of course, this wasn't, this wasn't, a, this wasn't something that was a new thought all of a sudden. It was prophesied. Micah 5 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. You see, he is God, manifest in the flesh. He is what we call the God man, the man, Christ Jesus. You know, he is a man. Yet God and equal with God. In, of course, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, you know, that familiar passage where it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he was equal with God. Remember he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Even the Son of Man which is in heaven. In other words, Nicodemus, who you're looking at is God in the flesh. Because while I'm speaking to you, I'm also in heaven. Because I'm everywhere. I'm omnipresent, just as God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. He had all power. And yet he was a man, the God-man. So that's the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to notice the purpose of Jesus Christ and his coming for us. Verse 17 of John chapter 1 says this for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ no man has seen God at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him in verse 29 says the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world so God revealed Christ to the world, to us, to take away the sin of the world. His purpose in coming into the world was to be a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. You know, you think about this, from man's perspective, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God had a dilemma. Now I say this from man's perspective. God had a dilemma. He had a predicament. 
He made man in his own image. He made him for relationship and fellowship. Part of that image, of course, was a free will. Man had the power of choice. And man exercised his choice in rebellion against the holy God. And God's holiness prevented, therefore, any further relationship or fellowship unless sin's penalty was paid. The only problem is, man being a sinner, couldn't pay that sin debt. Therefore, God, in his love and mercy, gave his son as a sacrifice for sin. You might say it this way. God, the sinless one, became a man, a sinless man, that he might be an acceptable offering for sin. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 22, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, I'll start in verse 21, For even hereunto were we called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Who knew no sin. You see, the God-man was sinless. And only a sinless Only a perfect sacrifice can suffice to pay the penalty for man's sin. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know he was manifested to to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Now I said that from a man's perspective, God had the lemma. But God never says, oops. Look at, look, at, look at Acts. Keep your, place, keep your finger here in Peter. We're going to be back there. But Acts chapter 2, Peter addresses this dilemma from our perspective. In Acts chapter 2, in his first sermon, uh, in verse 23, he says this. Him, notice, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So what does that mean? Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You see, God has foreknowledge. God knew all along that Adam and Eve would disobey him. 
He knew it. God has forelocks. He didn't make them. He didn't prevent them. He gave them free will. But he knew. And he had a plan. Revelation 13.8 speaks of Jesus as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, this wasn't a predicament or a dilemma for God. Although it appears to be for us. From our perspective. But Jesus Christ, his purpose was to, to be the lamb slain, to be a sacrifice for our sins. And I want you to notice thirdly, his present ministry of intercession. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 7. And verse 23, it says, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. This, of course, speaking of the Aaronic priesthood, priests of Aaron. But this man, speaking of Christ, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. And in Hebrews 9, verse 24, again, For Christ has not entered into the, hand, into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to be, appear in the presence of God. And what's those last two words? For us. You see, he's, he's entered into heaven itself, and he's at the right hand of God, in the presence of God, and he's there for us. You know, Hebrews describes him as the mediator of the new covenant. He is the mediator. 1 Timothy 1, 5, 2, 5 says he's the mediator between God and man. He is the one who gives eternal life, and he is the one who sustains that life. You can't sustain or keep yourself saved any more than a cat can bark like a dog. You see, the Bible describes him, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, as our advocate. It says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. You know, God's given us his word so that we don't sin. It's our instruction book, if you will, how not to sin. However, and if any man sin, and every man does, we know that, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now that word advocate is like a defense attorney. We have our own defense attorney sitting at the right hand of the Father, Interceding for us. You see, we have an accuser. We also have an accuser before God, the old devil. He accuses us day and night. He points his accusing finger at us. And, you know, and you sinner. You 
You see what they're, you see what they're doing. You see what they're doing down there. Them, them sinners. You know, and God can't look upon sin. But we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney that see at the right hand of the Father. And he says, wait a minute. That's my child. He is forgiven. I purchased him with my blood. He belongs to me. And you can't touch him. He's not guilty anymore. He is free. Because I paid for his sin. I paid for it. It's, 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 you know, picture, if you will, a, a, a courtroom scene and, and God is sitting on his throne and Jesus is our defense attorney and, and the devil is our accuser. And we all know that we sin, right? And, and the devil points his, his bony finger at us and says they, they, they sinned. And, and, but Jesus said, but I paid their sin. I paid for it. They are forgiven. Therefore, they are not guilty anymore. You know, Paul said in Romans 8.33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You see, God justifies us on the merits of Jesus Christ. And he intercedes for us before the Father. First Peter 1.5 says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, God is, it is, the, is the intercession of Christ that keeps us saved. We're kept by his power, by his sacrifice that is sufficient for all of our sin. You know, and God hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So it is Jesus Christ who paid your ransom and gave you eternal life, and it is Jesus Christ who sustains your life, your eternal life, because he ever lives to intercede for you. He ever lives to intercede. Isn't it wonderful to know that it's he that keeps us? So he lives. He never lives to make intercession for us. He is our advocate. But I want you to notice fourthly, He's also preparing to come for those who have received him. In John chapter 1, again, verses 12 and 13, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word received here means to receive what is offered in order to obey him. You know, the Bible talks about salvation simply be obeying a gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
And so, for those who have received him, receive what is offered, the gift of, of salvation, and, and, and given their life to him. You know, John, John this is the per- whole purpose in John writing his gospel uh, as, as he gives a summation, if you will, of his whole book. In John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31, he says, In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So for those who have received him or believed on him, received him as a Lord and Savior, he is coming again for those. And you know, evidence, the evidence that we believe, it's demonstrated, I'm more and more convinced of this, it's demonstrated by baptism. You know, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, 1 John 5, 1 says this, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Jesus speaks of his human name, Christ speaks of, means anointed one, speaks of his God name, his divine name. So whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now believeth there is an action word, like putting your trust in, so, or receiving him, we can say another way of saying it is to receive him as your Lord and Savior. So whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip was speaking to the eunuch, the eunuch says, What doth hinder to be baptized? And Philip said, Let me go to it and make sure I get it, the, the words all right here. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You see, he gave evidence of that belief because he was willing to bury himself, if you will. Picture of Christ's death. To identify with Christ's death and to bury himself, to die to self and to resurrect new life. He was willing to receive him and obey him as his Lord. He gave evidence. And for those who have received him, of course, he's preparing to come for those. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself where I am. There you may be also. And of course, First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 talks about this as well. So he's preparing. Not only is he present interceding for us, but he's preparing to come for us. For those of us who have received him as our Lord and as our Savior. You know, this is, this is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. He is the, ex- the acceptable Offering for sin. He and him alone.
And he is presently interceding for us who know him as our Lord said. He is, you know, really, he, what he's doing, he's keeping us safe. We're kept by his power. And one day he's coming for us. So the question is, are you prepared? To many as received him, to them gave he power. That word power there has the idea of authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So have you received him? Are you prepared? Are you ready for his coming?